He was a hero to some, a villain to others. And wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex. But he did have two companions. One was death itself. The other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Hex. If there is a fictional trope that blue staters like Casey and myself probably never tire of, but also have this nagging visceral fear of, <laughs> it's got to be the murderous hillbilly family. Especially that rare subset of cannibal hillbillies. <laughs> oh, God. It's just this weird, I grew up in the suburbs, I grew up in an urban environment, uh, nature is already scary. <laughs> But what about people who are scary even against the backdrop of a place that has crocodiles and animals and bears and things that can kill you? You don't know what to eat. You don't know where to go. You're lost. You're covered in mud. And a stranger pops up on you. A stranger who knows the land. <laughs> stranger might be missing a few teeth. <laughs> might be missing them all. He might want to put you in a cage <laughs> or turn you into a belt. <laughs> And I've got to say that, you know, with things like Deliverance, The Hills Have Eyes, um, a lot of H.P. Lovecraft stories, mm. the Dunwich Horror, is about a scary hillbilly family. Of course, they're contacting, you know, supernatural horror, but it's that same idea that there is something in the backwoods and the people who can survive there that is just so alien to us that we just exaggerated to this scary degree. And... That's what we're talking about today, is that Jonah Hex, he's a man of the land. Sure, and uh, and Jonah Hex also is afraid of these things. <laughs> yeah. Of all of the things that Jonah Hex isn't afraid of, these this is some pretty scary shit right here. And you figure that this is a guy who already knows how to survive in a place that would kill most normal men. That right. Jonah Hex is really fucking hard to kill. Well, you normally see Jonah Hex in the sort of quintessential western desert He's going through a dusty land with the cactuses and dead trees in between, you know, where the cities and towns are very far between. For so to have Jonah Hex show up in the bayou. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, it's it's he's absolutely a fish out of water. It's definitely, you know. And and well, the fascinating thing is that we chose two issues uh, that spread across one the original one, the run of Jonah Hex from the 70s from 73 and then another from the 2000s run. Um, where essentially it's the same plot, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's uh, Jonah Hex goes into the into the swamp looking for somebody and runs afoul of a hillbilly mm -hmm. family who does terrible things to him before he gets bloody revenge. And that's really the part about those kind of hillbilly stories that I find the most, I wouldn't say empowering, but it's visceral and it's that moment where the tables are turned. Right, right. Where you've been brought to your lowest point, you've probably been chained in a cellar somewhere, mm -hmm, you've escaped, mm -hmm. maybe hit somebody in the head with a rock and <laughs> run for your life, you're wet, you're covered in mud, your clothes are tattered, and you have no idea where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there's that moment where you're like, I'm going back because I got murder in my eyes. Right. And right. that's that bit, that bit there. It's a, You see it in everything from uh, 28 Days Later, I Spit True. on Your Grave. There's a lot of classic revenge stuff. And, you know, as I said, Jonah Hex is a guy who can survive anywhere. 
But you can even put him into a land where someone can survive and knows the place even better than him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're dealing with. Yeah, so I, uh, I, the first one, of course, is uh, that, I'll, uh, that I'll, I'll talk about is The Search for Gator Haas, which is uh, episode 12 of the original run of Jonah Hex. It was published in May 1978, written by Michael Fleischer, the man who wrote the lion's share of the original run of Jonah Hex. He wasn't the creator of Jonah Hex, right? No, but he, yeah. picked, he picked up almost right after. Right. So, I mean, most of the, uh, most of the original run was Michael Fleischer, art by Vincente Alcazar, which I don't think I've ever seen his art, actually knowingly seen his art. Uh, so the the, uh, the search for Gator Hawes starts off with Jonah Hex canoeing through the Louisiana bayou, searching for his old friend Gator Hawes. Suddenly his boat is overturned by a vicious gator. After a bloody underwater struggle, he dispatches the beast with his knife. As he surf- surfaces, a hulking swamp dweller and his father, Pappy, rescue Hex on the riverbank and take him back to their cabin. There, a grateful Hex is introduced to a beautiful woman, Isabella, the daughter of the Swamp family, who is immediately derided by her brother as, quote, the homeliest woman you ever seed in your whole blamed life. Hex interjects, and the Swamp brute rabbit punches him for interfering with their family business and throws him in a wooden cage. In the cage, he finds none other than Gator Haas, the missing man. Haas explains that the hillbillies have kept him starving in a cage, but before they can hash an escape plan, the swamp folk arrive and take Hex away. Atop a fallen log, the hillbilly explains that he's the best pole wrestler in the whole dang bayou. Hex is given a long staff, and they go at it, and he defeats the hillbilly soundly, obviously, and he make, tries to make a quick escape attempt and is stopped short by Pappy's buckshot grazing his temple. Back at the cabin in the cage, Isabella patches him up, but before she can finish... The son grabs both Hex and Haas and takes them back to the pole wrestling log. This time, he forces Hex and Haas to fight each other, where the loser will be fed to the gators. Hex allows himself to be knocked into the water, commandeers Pappy's canoe, and makes a getaway with the stunned and half-dead Haas. Before long, they find themselves at a waterfall. Hex grabs an overhanging tree branch and Haas by the wrist, but Haas is too weak from starvation and, and delirium, and he cannot hold on and succumbs to the river. An exhausted Hex crawls ashore and again is caught by Pappy and the hillbilly. They knock him out and throw him back in the cage. Days pass. Isabella visits him clandestinely and offers to free him if if he'll marry her. He agrees, but as she opens the door, Pappy catches her and blows her away with his double barrel. Hex knocks over Pappy, snatches his shotgun, and checks to confirm that Isabella is dead. Vowing revenge, Hex creeps into the cabin where the son is playing with his cottonmouth snakes. Hex gets the drop on him, delivers several heavy blows, but again, it's interrupted by Pappy with his, with another loaded rifle. He, Hex takes the legs out from under Pappy, the shots go wild, and in the chaos, the Cottonmouths kill Junior. Hex escapes by defenestration and finds a flash flood has enveloped the cabin. He climbs to the roof only to meet Pappy for the final showdown. The house lists under the waves and Pappy is impaled by a weather vane. Hex again commandeers their canoe and makes a clean escape, while the cabin and all traces of the hillbillies are washed away. Everyone dies. Yes, everyone dies. And no one dies because Hex, is he's a crack shot. They die for the their environment, basically. Yeah, this is a place where Hex has his weapons taken away from him very early. Right. That this is Hex kind of stripped down to just scary guy oh, in the li- woods. He's literally stripped down. He's he's topless for most of this. You see his like his six pack and his huge pecs. You know. Yeah, this is Hex at kind of his lowest. This is him stripped away of all the gadgets and gizmos. He doesn't have his tomahawk. He doesn't have his guns, and he's got to fight these guys. And again, this kind of plays into that one hillbilly trope of. 
it isn't just that these people want to kill you or capture you. They want to make sport of you in some way. Right, right. And that's why, you know, of course, not only is Josh the, the hulking hillbilly, of course, who has overalls and no shirt, isn't he just a pole wrestler? He's a champion pole wrestler. Champion pole wrestler, yep. And, uh, yeah, just the idea of I'm going to make you fight for your food and telling this entire time Gator Haas has been locked in a cage for two months. Right. And he's been told that he will only be given food if he can defeat Josh at pole wrestling. And, of course, he never does. And the thing is, of course, you're not going to after a while. You're just emaciated. You're starving. And you're never going to win. And the odds of you winning get smaller and smaller. And he's only staying alive because he's able to catch rats and things and lizards that crawl by. Right. And, uh, again, too, it's that that level of cruelty in the villains that when they finally die, it feels good when they die. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, they're they're cruel, obviously, because they're trapping people and starving them. But, I mean, you're introduced to their cruelty by the fact that, um, you know, the beautiful daughter is reprimanded immediately. And you find out that basically she's been told her whole life that she's ugly as mud, you know, when she's actually not. So it's so you realize that they're not just cruel because they catch outsiders and, you know, have them as playthings. But they also, like, just are abhorrent people to their own family. Yeah, they've basically trapped and enslaved this daughter by telling her that no one else would ever want her and making her hate herself. So that she thinks there's nothing else other than this shitty life that she's in. Mm-hmm. And the idea of Hex actually breaking that and saying, well, hold on a minute here. I mean, this really <laughs> fragile hospitality that they're giving him because they pull him out of the river is it's like immediately he does that like double handed axe punch yeah. over the back. It's like a yep. total Captain Kirk punch. Sure. Just takes Hex out. But yeah, I, what I love kind of about this story is that it plays into this idea that Hex has a sort of a cursed figure. Hmm. That Jonah Hex is different as a comic book than Batman. Right. Is that Batman, in get thrown into a story like this, would be victorious. That he would save both Gator Hawes and Isabella. Right. But that's not Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex lives in an uglier, nastier world. And it plays into his idea of the survivor's guilt of Jonah Hex. Mm-hmm. That he's a guy who... He can survive. He will find a way to make it out. He will get hurt on the way. He'll get messed up on the way, but he will always claw his way out, even if it's by the skin of his teeth. But it's everyone else who pays the price. Right. He he fails to save his friends. He fails to save Isabella. And in the end, all he has is his own life. Well, in the end, he he wins by accident, right? I mean, he, the other the other two guys perish not because he, he's strong and overcome. Well, he by attrition. I guess he wins by attrition. I guess really. Yeah, that uh, there aren't a, a the there's only a couple direct killings in this, and the first one of being, of course, that that Pappy actually shoots his daughter with a double barreled shotgun at point blank right, range. Right. And we can argue a little bit. This is where we're going to get into the kill count later. <laughs> the death of, of Josh, the big hulking brute, is kind of an assist by Jonah. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, he's got this guy, you know, he's got Josh cornered against the wall with his snakes. And Pappy comes in behind with a shotgun and blasts it. It blasts open the jar that has that poisonous snake in it. And Hex tackles Josh. And that drives him into the snake that bites his face. Right. So I don't know. We're, we can argue well, that a little bit sure later. We yeah, we'll 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 argue. But later. he has more of a direct hand there, where sure. Pappy is not Jonah's work. You know, that's right. Pappy is somebody who the storm kills him, and mm-hmm. it's still a great impaling death. Yeah, I gotta say, I've never never heard of anyone being killed by a weather vane, but that's cool. <laughs> that's it's fine. <laughs> it's just like yeah, I'm gonna jump up onto the part of my house as a big sharp 
point on it, and then I'm going to fight somebody up there. Well, I mean, I would think what I find so striking about this, and we'll talk about the comparison to the 2000s version, the updated version, is that basically uh, the house gets swept away, Pappy dies, and then you, I think you get maybe only one panel, which is him jumping into a canoe and going away and that's the resolution to it yeah there's like there's no like he goes back and tells has to tell gator haas's widow you know like the this the sad news or something he's just like he's gone Woo! next you know tomorrow's gonna be another adventure yeah it's yeah i just i love how dark it is i mean yeah, it's super dark and that's not the sort of thing you again would get in a superhero book superhero books generally focus on the hero being victorious the hero being awesome and hex is awesome in the same way that he'll find a way to survive. But he has these sort of ugly realities of people die. Innocent people die. Innocent people die through cruelty that either he fails to or simply is powerless to stop. And all he has in the end is just, I guess you could say, the comfort of knowing the bad guys died too. Right. <laughs> and they died by things that, that were their own. The the sure. Josh, the hillbilly brute guy, dies because of his pet snake. And that guy dies because of his cabin. Pappy dies because his own house murders him. <laughs> and in a lot of ways, in the, the storm, too. Yeah. The swamp kills Pappy. Right. Well, there's some other par- parts that I think that is, that I think here that are interesting is at the beginning, um, he's canoeing by himself. He has no contact with these hillbillies. They don't. They are not the ones who instigate this. What happens is that a gator like trounces the his canoe and overturns him. And he has this underwater fight where, you know, while he's doing it, while he has thought bubbles, every panel is him like recalling a story about the lesson he learned from his uh, drunken old reprobate of a father. You know who. Uh, and it basically implies that he was a coward and a rapist, right? Yeah. Like that, just like obviously a total scumbag. And of course, Hex's origin had appeared a couple issues earlier in this series, so you kind of know who his father actually is. But it's interesting that they they choose Hex fighting, which is really cool. It's and, and is animated. It's drawn very well. They choose the point when he's underwater fighting a uh, a crocodile to like give him exposition. And I'm just sort of like, ah, it's, to me, I understand that it's in the context of it being a comic book in the 70s. That's just what you did. Mm-hmm. It seems a little extraneous. Like, yeah, it's it's something that you did a lot more of in in past generations and we've talked about this a little bit before is you can sort of see the development of the comic book art form as a visual medium Mm -hmm. that you would have a lot more thought bubbles in and or captions if the captions are the person's thoughts in past stories than you do in current stories and uh but uh, what i find kind of interesting about this too is um that it's weirdly modern compared to a lot of contemporary stuff that it's a lot darker compared to a lot of contemporary stuff. And mm-hmm. you also see that this is a – it's a comics code book. So, yeah, that's, I was going to say that. Yes, it's true. So it's not going to be as brutal or as gruesome as the, what you're going to hear next. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, it has this element where I think they want to not have Hex be as horrible as possible. But also um, he's not going to directly kill people in, in Jason Voorhees' ways yet, even though clearly – I mean, that's the beautiful thing about having a gun in a story is it's the – Luke Skywalker shoots a stormtrooper. The minute laser hits plastic armor, 
the guy's just instantly dead. And mm-hmm. you can do that. It's a lot harder to pull that off in a story where Jonah Hex is unarmed. Because right. then you've got to do things like neck snaps and drowning and right. and stabbing, which is a little harder to get past the comics code. <laughs> and uh, there was actually one piece of dialogue on that line that I really liked. It was actually in Jonah's thoughts. It's after he got the drop on Pappy, knocked him out with a cell door, and grabbed the shotgun and is going to go in to rescue Isabella, Gator Hawes, and escape. And it's beautiful little bit of dialogue and he says shotguns empty and the old man ain't carrying no more shells well that's okay by me because the way i feel this minute bare hands gonna do me just fine <laughs> he's he's definitely like the if he would have existed in the 1980s he would have been the guy who would have been like I'm, I'm a lethal weapon in 14 states you know my hand my fists are lethal weapons like yes he clearly can that's funny because uh he also has some uh, some thought bubble re- recollection when they first want him to do pole wrestling he talks about how he trained some other type of pole fighting but the, but the, the other poles had sharp points yeah so, part of his uh, his years living with the Apache right AC is like well we had, we got stabbed in right. ours so this is baby play right. compared to what he's used to because you could what does he say like that would go right through your nose <laughs> where he's just like yeah but yeah he's like I can do this and I don't think that was something that uh that that the hillbillies are are ready for is that this is a guy who's lived a rough life mm-hmm. uh easily as rough as theirs and i think they're used to folks coming in who are just there to look for furs or fish and aren't used to doing really ugly things to survive oh you're not you're not ready for hex no no one's ready for hex nobody well i mean this is an instance where uh, in a lot of hex stories his reputation precedes him Right. Yeah. He walks into a town and people know who he actually is. Um, and this is in this in this case, they have no idea who he is. You know? He's just some dude. It's, it's who... kind of a, it's actually kind of like a John Rambo in First Blood sort of thing. Yeah. As he goes into this forest and they completely underestimate him because they have no idea who he is. Yeah. They're so used to having the drop on everybody. In, in this analogy, Gator Hawes is the Colonel Troutman, but of course, <laughs> but Hawes doesn't get the chance to like be his hype man like Troutman is. If you go up on that ridge, you're going to need one thing. What's that? A good supply of body bags. <laughs> that, that would be what I would have added to the story, has made Gator Haas more of a Colonel Troutman. So what, what did you think of the art in this one? Yeah, well, you made, you you asked me to pay special attention. You forced me to pay special attention. Um, we got the we read this in the showcase version, which uh, some comic fans may know is where they've collected old uh, classics, but they're the uncolored versions, so it's just the, the, the ink, ink line drawings. But there are pretty some amazing moments. I think and you can answer me this, It sometimes it feels very claustrophobic uh, in the way that they are drawing the actions in some of these panels because you're not given too much background detail in a lot of these. I think that was maybe an economics thing. Um, but sometimes it feels like it, it's very claustrophobic and you have a, have a difficult sense of determining the geography of sort of where the action is happening within the frame. Um, and that, since I'm not a lifer, as we always say, it's a little bit, I have to stop a little bit and think think a little more about the lines. Um, but I would say things that, that kind of caught my eye, one of them is that Jonah's fight in the water with the crocodile was really well done. Like you get a sense of, you get a sense of the chaos of him splapping overturned and, and splashing in the water. And there's also a few panels where you can see that Jonah Hex can, 
uh, can c- carry himself in this fight because he's circling him and the gator are circling each other. So he's he's teeing up in the fight and he knows the if the approach and this attack and the whole struggle with him eventually stabbing it through this through the snout you know and killing it um, is great is fantastic. Uh, and then he, when he wins, he bursts out of the water, and there's it's just a close up of his head going out of the water, and then a huge dialogue bubble that says "gasp," and it's sh- it's shocking because you also see his big eye open really, really wide. Yeah. Uh, so that's I I love those parts where they emphasize they use some bit of the uh, of the story to emphasize the ugliness of his face because oftentimes you just see him at a whole body distance and you don't really catch the the eye but it, you never you you always remember he has it but you forget it in the moment until it's close up and you're just like oh oh god <laughs> but it focuses on the melty side of his head right yeah i i like the art in this one um i hadn't I've probably re- I've read these stories before, but I hadn't really remembered Vicente Alcazar. He's a Spanish artist. He's actually not a superhero guy. He's done hmm. a lot of comic books, primarily doing a lot of like high fantasy stuff. He's hmm. done a lot of stuff in science fiction. He's done a lot of horror stories. So he does a lot of stuff out. Oh, war comics he does, hmm. and I think that is to the benefit when you're doing a Jonah Hex comic, is that the characters don't look like superhero characters. I mean, I know that they exist in the same universe that Superman eventually will. That that Superman is going to live in the same America that Jonah Hex died in. Sure. And... Even though they do that, they still give this a decidedly different feel. Right, and I didn't know that, but it makes a lot of sense because the other thing is that uh, Hex is thrown in the cage and then he discovers that he's in there with Gator Haas. And then Gator Haas is basically recounting him the last two months of horror. And there's a panel that's bas- that's that's Haas's face in close-up with his mouth agape and his eyes totally wide open. And in that moment, you, you kind of sells the horror of what it's like having to live in the cage with the hillbillies, you know? Yeah, there's bones in the cage. Right, right. So they are not the first people these guys have caught. Right. That's, but it's good. Yeah, it definitely gives you that the, the, the oh, my God, part of it. You yeah. Know? It's, oh, God. Oh, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with a modern tale of Jonah Hex v. Hillbillies. <laughs> Dawn of Rasslin'. <laughs> Take care, folks. We'll be right back. So we're going to be working together? Really? Worst film you ever saw. Well, my next one will be better. It's the Film and Water Podcast. The Film and Water podcast covers movies new and old, classic, and uh, not-so-classic. Proud member of the Fire and Water podcast network, available weekly on fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And we're back on Hex and Violence. We're talking about the second of our two Jonah Hex tales where he runs afoul of backwoods murderers. Mm-hmm. And this one actually comes from the year 2006 with the second volume of Jonah Hex, issue 10, titled Gator Bait. Gator Bait. Written by the team of Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray with art by Phil Noto. Our story opens in Black Swamp, Louisiana, as a middle-aged man, Flint Lamont, carries the body of a dead man over his shoulder to the front porch of his riverside cabin, to the water as the alligators below snap and bite as they anticipate their new dinner. 
Flint's elderly mother and his, let's say, simple little brother Dewey look on. Are they hungry today, he asks Dewey. Dem gators is always hungry, Flint, answers his mother. (laughs) As he dumps the body into the water to be devoured by gators, to Dewey's guilelessly giggling and clapping delight, Flint is sad to say that the Negro had gotten away, but that his other younger brother Dean had stuck him good with a hunting knife, and it wasn't likely he'd make it back to town. And even if he did, he wasn't going to find any help there from any of the old southern rebels there. What about the whore, Flint asks. Ma laments that she's just another lost soul who gave in to the sins of the flesh and that she can be wiped off and given to the boys for, oh. to preoccupy themselves. Oh. Back in town, a dying black man on a horse stumbles into town with a large knife sticking out of his back. He falls from the saddle and reaches for the nearest man begging for help. What he grabs is the familiar deerskin boot of Jonah Hex, who is just exiting a saloon. Please, he begs Hex. They have his woman and his best friend, and his baby. He thinks they killed them all. Who did? Hex asks. Swamp folk. Evil souls, he says. He tells Hex that he's dying and that there has to be some retribution for what happened to his family. Hex tells him retribution comes at a price. The dying man tells him that his family was on their way to Oklahoma for a fresh start, and he produces a deed to some land there. Hex can have it if he kills the folk who murdered his family. They'll pay in blood for what they'd done to you and yours, Hex promises. The man dies before he can finish thanking Hex. That evening at the card table, Hex loses the last of his money. When the dealer asks Hex if he has anything else to buy him back into the game, Hex pulls the deed from his pocket, but quickly says no and puts it back in his jacket pocket and leaves. Outside, Hex finds local law enforcement talking about the black man's murder with the local undertaker as a coffin is being prepared. Who could possibly expect him to go that deep into the swamp to arrest Lamonts, especially over, quote, a dead Negro with no kin to speak of? Hex asks if the coffin is for the man murdered earlier. It is. He asks if the sheriff it's official policy to let killers go free or, quote, is it just certain folk who don't merit justice? Hex makes them an offer. Since it's clear that everybody in town is afraid to deal with the Lamont family, they should offer him a bounty. They can claim the glory for their having manufactured the lawful demise of a known threat to the population. It might come handy come election time. The sheriff asks Hex if he was offering his services. A smile creases Hex's scarred face as he lights up a cigarette. You smarten up right quick, sheriff. (laughs) The next day... Hex follows trail signs to locate the Lamont clan deep into the swamp. And just as he sees the riverside cabin up in the distance from up in the trees, he is caught from behind by a young man with a shotgun. Hex isn't a bad tracker, the young man concedes. But he wasn't born in the swamp, or he wouldn't have been snuck up on so easily. The young man introduces himself as Dean Lamont and asks asks Hex's name. Hex's answer? We ain't going to know each other long enough to bother telling you. Led back to the Lamont cabin at the point of Dean's shotgun, Hex is greeted by the entire Lamont family on the front porch. What you got there, Dean? asks Flint. Dinner, he says. Hex is led around to the riverside of the cabin as Ma Lamont explains to Hex that in the swamp they have a saying, the swamp is never for want of food and neither is dem that knows how to survive in it, before admiring the gators circling in the water below. Hex gets right to the point Tells him he met a black man in town. 
Said he came through here with his wife, child, and friend looking for help. Ma confirms the story, asking Hex if he's there on the man's behalf. Whereas the mother and child Hex asks. Mother's inside, Flint answers. But as to the half-breed baby, he were a real treat for the gators, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Hex locks eyes with a large knife on Flint's belt as he and Ma force him to the edge of the railing as the gators wait below. Before he can push him over the railing, Hex grabs both of them by the arms and yanks them both down with him into the gator-infested waters. Dewey is thrilled and guffaws at the, at the approaching gators as Flint screams for a rope. Hex yanks Maw into the path of a passing gator as the water goes red with her blood. On the porch, another Lamont son screams in horror as his mother is torn limb from limb, and he tries to get a clear shot on the gator with his double-barreled shotgun. Dewey laughs maniacally, yelling, You! Crunch, crunch, these jaws be snapping! Underwater, Hex swipes the knife from Flint's belt and plunges it to the hilt into the man's heart, filling the waters with even more red. A second gator, attracted by the possibility of a hot meal, swims at Hex, who stuffs Flint's corpse into its jaws. The first gator, having finished off Ma, dives at Hex, looking for seconds. Hex braces the gator's jaws open and stabs it repeatedly in the jaws and then the brain pan until it dies. Pulling himself to shore some distance away, Hex has murder in his eyes and disappears into the swamp as the Lamont brothers scream in the distance for Dewey to shut up as he continues his hooting and hollering. <laughs> Back on the front porch, Dewey's laughter continues as the shotgun-wielding Lamont brother warns Dewey Ma ain't around no more to protect him, so he better not give him a reason to use his shotgun, which he levels at his, at his simple little brother. Dewey grabs a shotgun by the barrel and laughs at the gator aid his ma and Flint. And as the reality of that starts to sink in, Dewey tells his brother he's feeling sick and vomits, causing the brother's trigger finger to slip, taking Dewey's head off in a bloody explosion. Later, the surviving Lamont clan raise their glasses to their falling ma and brothers, and their thoughts turn to the truly horrible. Maybe the girl can soothe our troubled hearts in this time of desperation, Dean suggests. She ain't right in the head no more, remarks another. Dewey can't stand the way the prisoner looks at them. And as they pulled her out of a wooden crate, no need to kill her just yet, says Dean. (laughs) Creak as the wet and bleeding and disheveled Jonah Hex slowly pushes open the front door of the cabin and is framed by the sunlight that floods into the room. The Lamont family are deer in the headlights. From an exterior shot of the cabin, the sounds of breaking furniture and screams fill the swamp as the Lamont family cry out in pain and fear. Inside, a bloody Dean leans against the cabin walls that are splattered like the inside of a slaughterhouse and screams through missing teeth as Hex describes a particularly painful Cheyenne coming-of-age ritual, noting that the Cheyenne learn more pain as children than any European is ever likely to experience. Through a sneering smile, Hex tells Dean, I'm going to show you one last trick I picked up off of Cheyenne before I let you die in the kind of pain no white man has ever known. Later, with the Lamont cabin going up in flames, Hex leads the woman through the carnage, blindfolding her to shield her from it. Hex tries to console her. I reckon you crawled up so deep inside yourself 
that my talking won't be of much import. But he hands her back the deed he got as payment from her husband and asks her to look at the burning cabin. This doesn't make them square for what happened to her family, Hex says, but it'll have to do. Hex tells her to take as much time as she needs and lets her know he'll be waiting by the horse whenever she's ready to leave. Uh, uh, what's what's particularly disgusting is the part where Dewey real, is laughing, then realizes his mother's dead, cries, vomits. So you have a frame full of green vomit. And then the next frame is exploding head. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. You can see where the comics code went away at some time yeah. between these stories. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Um, I want to say that I want to wow. say that uh, that of course there's lots of that's disgusting and and they're totally selling the um this is normally what they do in a great movie uh, you know is like sell how fucking awful and sociopathic and disgusting the villains are and that's that really gives you works up the uh urge for you to have them be dispatched in the bloodiest way possible. But before that um, I like that that Jonah Hex grabs the deed from the guy and makes him a promise. And then there's that point where he clearly he's he's at a poker game. He's lost all of his money. He clearly could be like, "Okay, I'm throwing in this deed, and I'm going to win back my money." But he has that moment that that turn of conscience, and I think that's where that's what makes him different from every other man that's around him in town, you know. And that's that's the pinnacle of why he's why he's Hex, you know, why he, why he's there. Also, uh, that I at the beginning what I caught was. Um, he gets caught by in the in the swamp. He gets got the jump on him. The, the other guy, yeah, Dean. Dean get, catches the jump on him and notices that he has a Confederate uniform, but that he doesn't look like he's a Confederate. I don't remember what the word he says. He's is. not of the South. Not of the South, which is kind of at a certain point, it's kind of true. Is Jonah Hex stops being of the South in that respect? You yeah. Know? He, well, that's the difference too. Is that he wears that uniform partially as a sign of shame. Right. It isn't. He's not holding a torch for the Confederacy. I right. mean, he's a deserter, and that's something we'll get into in future stories. Right. But he's, he's not some. He's a deserter, and he's someone who lived his life as a slave. So he he. Kind that of was the thing that it. yeah it broke him in yeah. that way that he's he's been enslaved and it was that he's like this is what we're fighting for fuck this yeah and uh, it's also interesting that the the hero that comes to avenge a, a murdered interracial couple. Mm-hmm. Is a man in a Confederate uniform. Right, right. I mean, that's the last person in town that you would expect that would take up that cause. That, you know, Hex is not a racist. I mean, his uniform, it's kind of like that, we said again, that thing with Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. It's a thing where he wants everyone to see his ugliness on the outside. That he feels a great deal of shame for what he's done in his life. And he deserves to be hated. But it's the rest of the town, the upstanding citizens, you know, the, the law enforcement officer who wants to go, oh, you know, I'm not a sheriff, I'm a constable. Like, you know, <laughs> right. like, like, he's wearing you. a bowler hat, you know, and smoking a cigarello. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm so much more honorable than you are, but he's just some, he's just an asshole. And he's also afraid to do his job mm-hmm. that there's this family that you get the impression they are of ill repute. These are people that are pulling people into the swamp. God knows how long they've been doing that stuff. Probably being able to come into town, kill somebody. Nobody's going to go in there because they don't come back. Right. Right. And I, I love that, that Jonah negotiates with the constable, um, to be able to allow him, the law, to basically go after them. 
And he does it in a way that that is like a master Game of Thrones level politicking, right? He's like, you know, if you let me do this, then this is the kind of thing when election time comes around looks really good. Yeah. You know, if you create a bounty that I go in and then and, and do it for you, it'll look real good come election time. You know, like it's yeah. fantastic. He's also he's not just a brute. He's not just someone who tears through. He's clever. He's got a, a great amount of guile and wit for sure. And he's going to get paid for it. I mean, he doesn't need the deed. I mean, he does give the deed back to her because that's all she has at that point. I mean, her whole life has been ruined. And that was one of the things I really liked in the art is it really sells just the glassy-eyed look that she has seen and weathered some fucking horrible shit. And that the worst of the stuff that gets done in this story is done off panel, that Mm -hmm. we don't know what they've done to her. We don't well, know. We don't see them throwing a baby into being eaten by crocodiles and shit, right? No, but yeah. the stuff you see, you believe it. You believe right, everything. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Well, I love that, that thing that happens uh, when Jonah Hex first sees the entire family. At the bottom of the page, there's like 11, 10 or 11 frames, and they're all the faces of all the members of the Swamp family just kind of leering at him, you know? And then yeah. the last frame is. Jonah Hex's reaction, and you only see the good half of his face, and he's just sort of like, "Oh my god, what did I, what did I fall into here?" <laughs> oh yeah, it's just they, they really sell it. Um, I mean, this is one of the places where I think Phil Noto's art really shines. Mm is that the inside of the cabin looks like shit. And there's little details that really make it work. Like, against the wall of their living room is just a shovel leaning against the wall. And that's just such a strange element. But you're like, I don't want to know what's going on here. You know, it's just like, you know, their house is also the shed. Right. Well, their enti- the entire their entire entertainment, of course, is right out on their porch. And their porch is where they throw people over and watch the gators rip them apart. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's really, and then just it looks like there's a, a carpet or a rug that's like rotting <laughs> it, that's on the rug. It just looks fucking awful. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare place filled with nightmare people. And actually, one of the places I really like with Phil Noto, um, I primarily, before this story, knew him as a guy who drew a run of Black Widow for Marvel. Mm. And his art usually has a very clean, fluid, um, I'd say almost animation-style painted kind of look to it. Um, but he really adjusts it for this story. I mean, he gritties it up. Yeah. He just uglies it up and it just the story feels dirty yeah i mean and it, it's not apples to apples we can't i can't compare the version of uh the jonah hex 13 number 13 that we have because like i said we have the showcase version so it's not it's not you know it's not full color it's not as it was reproduced back uh in the original run but i mean you definitely see large thick clean lines large strokes for clean lines and stuff and there's a lot there's a lot more detail given in the in the new book that's j- just of the, the, I guess you would call it penciling. I don't know. Do they have that in modern comics? Do they have that anymore? They don't really have a penciler and an inker anymore. The they, art, artist is just like he draws the lines and then firms them up himself or, or him or her. Everyone's a little bit different. Mm. Um, I get mm. the impression but Phil Noto does a lot of digital art. So he does the the pencils on a, on tablet or computer, and you can sort of tell with that. And hmm. I he, sometimes he does it smoother. I mean, there's a real kind of uh, smoothness to the way he usually does it, but he gritties it up a bit. And because that classic art style wouldn't work on a Jonah Hex story that he usually does. But hmm. I like the fact that he's probably uh, doing this as kind of a fun art exercise, like saying, oh, you know what, I can – gritty this up a little bit i can draw some ugliness and mm-hmm. i usually draw things looking awesome and smooth and sleek and instead have you know this creepy hillbilly family and i love the designs he has on them because 
even though there's like two of them that are never named, like there's that one daughter that has kind of a hairy upper lip and always has a cigar in her mouth, mm-hmm. and that one bearded one, and there's a bald one. Right. They don't have this sort of stock hillbilly look to them. I mean, Dean is one of the few, aside from Flint and Ma, that gets some dialogue. Mm-hmm. But they're all pretty interesting, and they're all very well designed. They're all characters. Yeah, well, they they all look unique. They don't they they look like you'd be able to recognize them if you saw them in a second panel. I what I love uh what I love the most the the, the panel that I love the most is Hex escapes at being thrown into the water. You know, he kills the father. He kills the alligator, and then you turn the page, and he's he's going he's he's in the mud. With dagger in hand, crawling, army crawling, you know, elbow over elbow, going, huh, 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 and he's just got this look on his face, like the survival, you know, yeah. it's just like this is the survival instinct, and that's the, that's got to be the most terrifying thing to see if you're the one of Hex's foes. Yeah, if he's coming out of that water for you, <laughs> you're <laughs> fucked. I mean, you're just dead meat, and he looks like the devil when he opens that door. Yeah, and like that framed against, you know, they're in this darkened room. They're kind of lifting their their mason jars to to their maw and they've just had this dead look on their face as that door opens and it's just like i like that they don't even show it you just see kind of the background behind dean right to know whatever he did it was like jason Voorhees, it was michael myers right he freddy kruegered the shit out of those people (laughs) and hex is he just has a knife and he's mostly unarmed right that whatever he did to them it was before they could get to their guns and he just fucking slaughters these people. So are, are, are you thinking the same thing that I'm thinking is that uh, they essentially, the writers of this love the original story and just thought, well, how can we do a version of this story now that we don't have the comics code that actually serves how badass Jonah Hex really is? And how awful these hillbilly tropes are. Well, I mean, there's, well, there's just... how, how many times in the first one, There's I think there's th- four, three times when the same thing happens again, which is that Jonah can't leave because uh, Pappy with a shotgun is yeah. like the same thing happens three times. You're like, okay, well, you get at a certain point you get tired of it, and you're like, they could have chosen to do something else with this. In this, it's pretty straightforward. They try to get him once. No, 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 Jonah. If you you had that one chance, you had your one chance to shoot Jonah Hex. I love, um, as I really love how they do the underwater fighting in this mm-hmm. because uh, one of the things you see coming from Hex's mouth all the time are bubbles. That he has a limited amount of air. Right. And it has this sort of panicked kind of vibe to it. And it's the same one in the original story is that there's something about fighting underwater when you're not Aquaman (laughs) that is terrifying because you have this timer. And that especially when you're fighting an alligator, alligator has much bigger lungs and is much used to being underwater snapping at things than you are. And actually interesting is that both of these stories have a scene where Hex stabs an alligator in the head underwater. Yep, yep. Yeah. I mean, you got to fight that alligator. I mean, a lot of <laughs> maybe, maybe that is the the best way to dispatch an alligator. I don't know, but I, if you got to be in the water with them, yeah. I <laughs> I'm going to do it from a distance with like a bazooka. Right, right. Yes, exactly. Harpoon. Yeah, I'm Harpoon I'm not gun. getting near it. Yeah. It's... Well, I mean, with the with this version, the colored version, obviously the the big effect here is that he's underwater, and you can you just you see the blood swirling around all of them when they're doing in, in this battle. You know, some of it clearly is hexes because he's struggling, but a, a large portion of it's coming out of the skull of the alligator you know it sort of plays in i mean we're kind of pulling back to a lot of things that we got out of the vigilante justice uh episode that we did with radio versus the martians Mm. which is that you have a hero who does terrible terrible things to villains and you have villains that are so unrepentantly awful 
that they, you just are begging them to get it, mm-hmm. that they deserve the horror that's coming to them. It's people who inflict needless terror and and fear and torture on people, having it reflected on them, and that sense of watching them take the hero to a powerless place, having him rebound and destroy them. And it just, it's, and maybe it's just this particular moment in history we're living in right now, <laughs> but I just want to see a hero murder some racists. Yeah, well, I mean, come up, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, we, we celebrate their comeuppance, and certainly Hex is brutal, uh, Hex is primal, like his, uh, you know, this isn't this isn't uh, a ninja or a samurai who's flipping through that has, uh, you know, gl- you know, night vision or some shit like that. Um, this isn't dispatching someone from three hundred yards with a, you know, laser sighted uh, rifle. It's right up in there. You yeah. know, he's when he kills the people in the end, he doesn't just he could just set the cabin on fire and roast them all alive. No, he takes them all out by hand. You don't know you don't know what he does to them. You just know that they are fucking dying in there. Screaming yeah. for the you know, screaming horribly. Yeah, it's it's awful. And there's that oh my god, that whole quote, I'm gonna teach you a level of pain no white man ever known. <laughs> it's just you don't know what he does. And whatever he does, I love that they don't show it. Yeah. Of because course. it's whatever you got in your head is way worse. Yes. <laughs> it's it's yeah. so much worse. Yeah. And it, it is that, that horror moment. You just have to have the scream from the outside shot of a cabin, <laughs> and you got everything you want. So are you ready to get into it, Casey? Yeah, let's do it. It's time to go into the confirmed Jonah Hex kill count. And uh, we're starting again from last episode where we had 23 kills. We're a little yep. light this time. A little light. Well, we're also out in the middle of the woods. We're in the swamp. Fewer people. Oh, yeah. More, more depopulated. Uh, more animal kills you, this time You really around. don't see as many people in these books, especially in uh, Jonah Hex number 12, original yeah. run. Yeah, not a lot of deaths in the first one. So, yeah. uh, Casey. Um, yeah, so two. 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 So, Josh, the uh, the giant hulking one, and Pappy. That are there because clearly when Isabella dies, she dies because her father shoots her point blank with a uh, uh, shotgun. And I and I think I'm gonna give him the two only because it was Jonah Hex's uh, sort of punches and and uh, sort of uh, I don't know what you call it pile driver or whatever that knocked the snakes over um, and allowed Josh to die. And it was of course. Jonah Hex getting in confrontation with Poppy that led him up on the roof. So if he happened to incidentally be killed by a weather vane, he was still in he was still in combat with Jonah Hex. I would normally fight it, but I really want to give Hex an impaling death. <laughs> so I think we can we can fudge it a little right. bit. Right. I mean, just... it would only. I mean, it will only count. It would in in the greatest technical in the greatest way, the most technical way. It would only count if if he like kicked him or punched him and he fell back onto the weather vane, right? But he didn't do that. Um, but no, they're, they're his kills. Okay. Yeah. So we got two in that one. And right, then... what, now what do you think about uh, Gator Bait? Gator what Bait. Did, what, did you, what did you get? So from Jonah Hex, volume two, number 10, we've got Ma Lamont, who after dumping her in the water with him, throws her into the path of a passing gator, which mm-hmm. rips her apart. Mm-hmm. Now the gator eats her, but he literally throws it in her mouth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she, he swings her around by her arm, and there's just a trail of blood as the gator leaves the frame. It's it's like if there was a huge combine. If you pick some up and threw it in the combine, technically the combine killed them, but you 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 were the one who started it off. You arranged the meeting. Right. <laughs> and then there was a Flint Lamont who is stabbed through the chest with a hunting knife and then fed to a gator as a corpse yep you notice he kind of kills him in the way that uh luke skywalker uses that bone in the rancor pit (laughs) that i'm gonna stuff this gator's mouth so i can escape (laughs) 
So then there's uh, the four Lamont siblings, the mm-hmm. three brothers, who, when they're screaming from outside the cabin, one's named Andy Lamont and Jethro Lamont, and then there's uh, that unnamed sister. So four of them. Mm-hmm. And then Dean Lamont. Um, again, all of these people killed in unspeakable off-panel ways right. that uh, defy even a non-code book, <laughs> <laughs> saying, you know, we don't really need to see it because it's better if you use your imagination. <laughs> So that's a grand total of seven people he killed in that. So right. if we add that, that's nine kills this episode. That's a that's a decent uh, number. That's but, a that's a spree. But what we're but what we're four only four issues of of uh, at least a hundred probably. How many how many have there been? How many uh, John oh, Hex issues have there been? Over there have been probably? at least two hundred issues. Okay, plus miniseries. Um, so that, so we're already about ten percent of so the supposed global total uh kill count for jonah hex because we're, we're at 32 is that where we're at now oh my god yeah 32 we're at, people we're at 32 that's where the count stands 32 human beings that wow. i think we're moving into serial killer territory yeah. now yeah and two no, episodes no. and yes <laughs> this is already because i know the green river killer who yes that's our local guy go washington <laughs> um i remember that, that his count was something like 47 and I think by the next episode oh, we sure. do, we're going to top the Green River Killer. Take that, Ridgeway. Eat my fucking dust. It's on. So Hex is going to top Hex, them all. Hex is a, killer, is a serial killer you can believe in, really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, he's going to stop it. And then also, you're not going to feel bad because these people all deserve it. Yes. Well, of course. A couple honorable mentions in this one, though. Yes. Um, there are a couple people that uh, that do die through means other than Hex. Like, there's a, a poor woman who shot at point blank with mm-hmm. a shotgun. Mm-hmm. And two animal deaths. Yes, that uh, Jonah manages to stab two gators to death while underwater. You know, y- yes, he does kill gators. Um, but I will say that Jonah Hex in the second uh, in the second issue, Jonah Hex feeds those gators. So you know, maybe that gator and their children will have more food tonight. So yeah. he might have killed one, but he's really helping the gator population. It's very a sustainable kind of murder. You know, <laughs> yes. Hex likes to you know leave nothing but footprints and bloody corpses <laughs> and take nothing but photographs. <laughs> <laughs> and vengeance uh, of, of course of course yeah he is oh man so I, I will say that one thing i am disappointed by is that we do are we are treated to a shirtless perfectly carved chest and abdomen of jonah hex in the first one and we uh we don't we don't get that in uh in the, in the second one we don't yeah he does lose a bit of his sleeve yeah, but uh, yeah, he's kind of Captain Kirking it in the first one. He definitely is. And he does yeah. that a lot. He works out. He works yeah, out. I always kind of wonder with Hex his ability to repair that uniform because I know obviously yeah. Confederacy's not around <laughs> anymore, so he has a sewing kit somewhere. <laughs> but he's always fixing that shirt. He's just on the Civil War reenactors mailing list, and so he can always get the repro oh. jackets. Oh my God, what a yeah. scary mailing list that is. <laughs> That's junk mail he gets. Well, it gives him people to kill. That's true. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I think that's probably what we have for this episode. Uh, We want to thank you for joining us. We don't know when another one of these is going to come. Yeah, we don't know. But I think think I've got good ideas that we won't speak of here about what our next theme is going to be. I think you'll be be pleasantly surprised. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun, but we promise there'll be blood. (laughs) Catch you folks on the flip side. Bye-bye. Hex and Violence is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in Tacoma, Washington and is edited by Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel and our opening narration was performed by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, and Dan Lombardo. 
please take the time to rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find us online at RadioVersusTheMartian.com. Account of being a no-good bounty hunting polecat who tried to bring down the royal flush gang, one Jonah Hex is sentenced to death. Come noontime, the old station whistle's gonna wail and send these here horses, and you, scattering to the four corners of the west. Any last words? Sure do. But ain't none of them fit to be spoken in front of the lady. (laughs) 